Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Central today and we study Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, as we work our way through Paul's letter, pursuing what our mission of our church calls us to. That's transformation. We seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ and in our lives, in our communities, in the whole world. And that's what the Lord lays in front of us in this book of Galatians. If you were with us last week, studying the last of uh, the end of chapter 2, we saw justification uh, completely laid out for us. We studied it and understood that justification is an act of God's free grace to forgive us of all of our sin and to accept us as perfectly righteous in His sight only by the righteousness, the obedience of Jesus credited to us, and we receive it through faith alone. In other words, By trusting in Jesus' work, it is just as if we've never sinned and just as if we've always obeyed. So how do we live in that space right now? Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts to his word. Oh Lord, by your power of your spirit, would you open our eyes to behold Jesus here. Strengthen us as your children and enable us as your followers that we would follow you and give our lives to you Every day, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me only ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Martin Luther was uh, an Augustinian monk who sparked the Reformation in the 16th century, and he was a colorful character. If you've read much about Luther, you know that, and it's easy to say that Galatians was his favorite book, because in part, it lays out the doctrine of justification so clearly. And yet, in Luther's day, there wasn't uniform agreement about that among the German dukes. In fact, Duke George of Saxony heard Luther recover this biblical doctrine of justification, and he said, that's a great doctrine to die by, but a lousy one to live with. What could he mean by that? I think he means that that truth of justification, trusting in Christ's merits, gives us great confidence before the the throne of God as we stand in death. We know that we're received through the merits of Jesus, but, but what about now? How do we live for God now in this life? And Paul's message in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9, is that the gospel is the way that we live our entire lives. Not only our hope at the hour of death, but in every moment of our lives, we live in light of the gospel. 
So how does Paul lay that out for us here in these verses? First, living in light of the gospel calls us to keep the cross before us. Keep the cross before us. Look at verse 2. He says, it's like they've been bewitched. It's a, a word that means under a spell, some evil spell. If we were in L.A., that is lower Alabama, we might say, who gave you the stink eye? Paul's asking, who by their evil and their lying and their manipulation has so confused you that you can't see clearly anymore? Who is trying to control you with falsehood to those, those Galatians? He's trying to jolt them from this spell, and he, he calls their sight back onto what they've already seen in the cross. Again at verse 2, Paul says, Before your very eyes, that's that sight language again, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul, Paul says that that word is publicly portrayed, is placarded. It's like it's been cast upon a billboard. Through the preaching of Jesus, he was so vividly portrayed to you that it's like he was billboarded in your sight. When you hear that gospel preached and you, and you believe it, then there's a power and there's a truth of, of Jesus coming into your life. It's being gripped by the power of the love of God, the power of what Jesus has done. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been so taken with something so beautiful about the cross of Jesus that, that it's, it's almost a tangible manifestation of God's presence? You're just completely overwhelmed by Jesus being placarded, being billboarded in your sight. Like the hymn writer wrote, sometimes a light surprises a believer while he prays. Sometimes the cross is so beautiful, we can hardly take it in. If we're going to live for God, we live by keeping the cross before our eyes. Because God's power in the cross is not just cold embracing of fact. It's, it's more of a personal appropriation. It's what Jesus has done, yes, but what Jesus has done for me. It's that personal aspect of what Jesus did on the cross, taking all of my judgment, all of my condemnation. He went to that wretched place, that cursed place for me. And when that is no longer just a history lesson, but it's personal, it's not just out there, but Jesus did it for me, then that power of God floods into our lives and begins to make us new. And that work of Jesus, it's not just history, it has a, a present effect on your life. That verb crucified that Paul uses here is a, it's a perfect participle. And that, that means that it's something that happened in the past. It was a real event, a historical event. There was a real cross and Jesus hung there and he died there. But that historical event continues to have significance in my life today. That's what a perfect participle is used to convey. It happened then, but it changes me now. That's what Paul said. Jesus was crucified, but it changes your life right now if you believe it. Without any offense to history professors here, studying Jesus crucified is it's not the same as studying the reign of Charlemagne. It's not like uh, examining the military conquests of Napoleon. It's not even like studying someone within living memory like Churchill or FDR or, or Reagan. It's more than that. Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his work upon the cross is no less history than any of those, but his history, his work has an effect on your life right now in this very moment, and it will affect you tomorrow, and it will affect you into eternity. 
Our lives hinge on what Jesus did on the cross. But do you believe it? Do you trust that this is not just something that the Bible tells, not just some story in the Bible, but do you believe what Jesus did by taking all of your judgment upon the cross? He did it for you, and you will never be the same. Do you believe that today? But it can be easy to get bored with that story, I know. I've heard people tell me before, you know, you really only have one sermon. (laughs) You talk about the cross every week. We hear it every Sunday. We hear it in Sunday school. It's it's like that old Dunkin' Donuts commercial. You wake up in the morning and the guy says, it's time to make the donuts. Sometimes our hearts mumble, it's time to hear about the cross. I've heard it so many times. But what Paul says is what keeps us alive What keeps us spiritually attuned, the power for growing in holiness in your life is if that cross is billboarded before your eyes all the time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) That's where power comes from, keeping the cross before our eyes. And others of us sometimes kind of compartmentalize it. And we say, well, that's good news on Sunday, but it really has nothing to do with my life Monday to Saturday. I'm happy to hear about it on Sunday. Sure, I won't even think it's time to make the donuts. I'll I'll let you talk about it as much as you want. But it doesn't make any difference in my life, Monday to Saturday. Friends, if you look at it that way, you lose the deepest reality about you. If you trust in Jesus, the most true thing about you is that you have been united to Christ. He died for you. And Paul says before, I was crucified with Christ. And now it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that changes everything. It changes every single day. It changes the way you come to church. It changes the way you participate and give yourself in your work. It changes your relationship with your friends and with your family. It changes everything about your life. Do you trust in the cross of Jesus? It's not just about starting a relationship with Jesus. But keeping your eyes on the cross is what sustains your relationship with Jesus. Paul Miller, the theologian, wrote this. He says, The danger which constantly faces both new believers and longtime Christians is the temptation to think of conversion as everything and forget that repentance and faith include a continuing radical reorientation of the life toward God. As John Murray says, Christ's blood is the soap of initial cleansing, but it is also the fountain to which the believer must continually repair. It is at the cross of Christ that repentance has its beginning. It is at the cross of Christ that it must continue to pour out its heart in the tears of confession and contrition. Friends, the way that we live unto God is by keeping our eyes open to the crucified Christ. That's what will sustain you. Many people throughout history have said, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Why? Because we so quickly forget it. We forget that it's what roots our lives. What what Jesus has done on the cross is what roots our lives in God's power. We need to be continually fed by and gaze upon the crucified Jesus in his weakness, 
in our place on the cross where he took all of our judgment upon himself. It is on that cross where we find our strength. We see the love of God and the power of God to cleanse us. And that provides fuel for your walk of holiness in this life. If we're going to live for God, we have to keep our eyes open to the crucified Christ. And second, we live by remembering that God is faithful to keep his promises. Jump down to verses 6 to 9 where Paul uses Abraham as an example here of how Jews and Gentiles are both spiritual children of Abraham, spiritual children of God. Well, who was Abraham? You remember the story. He was a wealthy nomad. He, he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, and he was a pagan when God called him to himself. 75 years old, God made a promise to Abraham, the promise that we see in Genesis 12, 3, which Paul quotes in verse 8. In you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was far from God, 75 years old, married to a barren wife, and before he had ever obeyed anything, God made a promise to him. I will save you, and through you I will bless the whole world. Will you believe it? Those who believe the promises of God are the spiritual children of Abraham, those who inherit the promises and the the blessing of God's life. But be sure and follow Paul's logic here. He says, remember, Abraham was a pagan when, when God called him, when God made a promise of salvation to him and, and through him, just like all these other Gentiles in this church in Galatia. Abraham was justified, verse 8, through faith before the law was ever given. The law wasn't given until 24 years later. Abraham knew nothing about following the law of God or being circumcised or any of that for 24 more years. He was 75 when God called him. He was not circumcised until he was 99. Paul said, do you follow? Obedience to the law couldn't save him because the law hadn't come yet. It came 25 years later. As Paul says in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 9, so those who are of faith, that is those who believe are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous by God before he ever participated in any of that religious obedience, the religious duties of circumcision or the law or any of it. Because he was, the law didn't come for 25 more years. It was an act of God's grace received through faith alone before he'd done anything good. God made a promise to people who aren't capable of good. And he keeps his promise by making us alive with him. Friends, I want you to hear how important this is. This is biblical Christianity 101. And if we get this order reversed, we lose the gospel. We don't obey God or follow after God in order to have God love us. We don't obey God to make God grant us his favor. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. And that distinguishes our faith from every other religion on the planet. Every other religion says you must perform your duties and therefore receive blessings. But the Christian faith says this. God makes promises to be believed. And believing in those promises, we have the favor of God. And therefore, we seek to follow him and live our lives for him. 
because we have God's favor, because we believe in in the gospel and receive his favor, then we therefore obey. And you can never reverse the two unless you lose the gospel. We don't obey to make God love us, but rather because God loves us, therefore we follow him and obey him. It's biblical Christianity 101 for Galatians. It's biblical Christianity 101 for St. Louisans too. Because we so easily forget that and reverse that order. One of the ways that we do it is we like to treat God like a cosmic gumball machine. We place our currency of I performed my duty. I obeyed you, God. And then we turn that slot and out supposed to spit blessings. We try to obligate God. We say, Lord, I've done my part, and now it's your turn to do your part. I was obedient to what you asked me, so now my hand's out, bless me. We seek to make him predictable and controllable. We try to make him safe by doing all of these things, but God won't have any of it. God will not be controlled. He's the creator of the universe, but he's good. He's perfectly good so we can trust him to keep his promises. We can trust him to follow him wherever he leads us because our God is good. We're called to place our faith and our trust in that God who's faithful, who's always faithful to his children. It's what Abraham was called to do. God called Abraham and he believed God who led him through the desert and Abraham had no idea where they were going. And yet he knew this God. He believed him. He believed that he was trustworthy. We're called to place our faith in that same providence of God even when we can't see the end from the beginning. When we can't see where he's taking us. We can't see the hardships he might walk us through. When we can't see the end from the beginning, we still trust in God because he loves us and he blesses us. And he calls us his children. Think about that promise that God made to Abram. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. He was 75 years old and childless and had a barren wife. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. That's not possible. God made that promise and God kept that promise when there wasn't any way. And in fact, God didn't fulfill that promise until he was 100 years old. 25 years later, while Abraham waited on God to be faithful to his promises, but our God makes a way where there is no way. He is the one who keeps his promises when you can't see your way through the dark. He never is in the dark. When you feel lost, he has never lost his grip on you. That's our hope, friends, that our God hangs on to us and he will never let us go. We trust in that God who makes promises and keeps them. He makes promises to people like us whose lives are, are messed up by all kinds of sin and yet he keeps them and he blesses us for his name's sake. Our God is good And he even is good when every way you can see toward health or goodness are blocked by some hindrance in your life. Our God is good and he makes a way when there is no way. Living in the life of the gospel is to trust God, to follow him where he leads us rather than try to control him 
with our attempts at being good enough. He's always good. He's always faithful when we're not. And third, we live by that power of the gospel by embracing the power of the Spirit. Look back up at verse 2, where Paul asks a question to get to the hub of the Galatians' experience of Christianity. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, that is, religious obligations, keeping your religious duties? Did you receive the Spirit by being obedient enough or by hearing with faith? He's saying, how did this marvelous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, how did that happen for you? You received it. He said, you didn't make it happen. You didn't do it. You didn't call God's blessings down because you were so obedient. You're not capable of that. In fact, Paul will say later, we, did, we are dead in our sin, completely dead in our sin, and yet the Spirit of God makes us alive. He regenerates our hearts, and that same Spirit who brings us to life enables us to continue to follow. Did you receive the Spirit yourself? No. God gave you His Spirit. You don't obey yourself into new life. You're not going to obey yourself into His blessing. Luther says at this point that the only Christian organ is our ears. We hear and we receive. We don't grasp by our own efforts of religious obligations. We receive through faith. Verse 3 could be summarized as one commentator does. I think this is brilliant. He says, are you crazy? (laughs) Since you received the Spirit as a gift and not a reward... Being saved through your ears, as it were, and not your hands, have you now gone completely crazy? I think that's a pretty fair translation. That's what Paul's saying. If you began by the Spirit, by grace having received him, are you going to try to finish the race of your life by your own efforts? If you began by that gift of the Spirit, are you going to try to improve yourself by making yourself good enough for God? That's a key question. If we've been saved by grace, brought into God's family by promise, made sons and daughters of God himself, are you going to now try to grow into family resemblance by being good enough for God? It's crazy, Paul says. You, you You don't become like Christ by forgetting the Spirit and thinking you can do it on your own. Thinking you can make yourself more like Jesus in your own power. It's nuts to think we can do that. Paul says, you can't. And yet, here again, it's an Achilles heel of Christians today. We so easily forget that the taproot of our holiness is laying hold of what has been done for us by Christ and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit who will enable us to obey. That spirit who brings us to maturity, that same spirit who made you alive He regenerated you, made you alive with Christ, is the same spirit that will help you obey today, will continue his work in your life. We don't have enough power to finish the race of the human life by resting on our own abilities. You don't have enough strength for that. You don't have enough strength to complete the Christian life in your power. It's not possible. Back in 2019, the Fremont, California Police Department uh, was undergoing a little bit of an experiment with electric patrol cars. 
They bought a fleet of Teslas to patrol this city on the bay, and you can probably tell where this story is going, can't you? The story that appeared in the paper back in 1999, Officer Hartman was pursuing a suspect of a felony in a high-speed chase. They're 120 miles an hour going down the interstate right there in the Bay Area, and he noticed that his Tesla was running out of power. So he radioed the dispatch and says, I'm down to six miles of battery on my Tesla. I'm going to lose this guy. And he did. The guy got away. And somehow the news media got a hold of this story. And they wrote a story about it. And the police department was forced to have a press release where they said, we have not yet worked out all the policies necessary for our electric patrol cars. In particular, we don't yet have a policy on who's responsible to charge the cars and when. So Officer Hartman started his shift with diminished power. He had no chance of keeping his patrol up all the way to the end. What Paul wants you and I to remember is we don't have the power to keep up patrol on the sin in our lives. If you're relying on yourself, you're going to run out fast. We don't have the power to grow up into Christ relying on our own strength. Our spiritual battery is less than diminished. It's dead to start with. And if God made you alive, the Spirit made you alive together with Christ, then that same Spirit will continue to give you power to enable you to grow. You're not alone. We have the Holy Spirit within us. The resources of heaven are alive within you. He is who powers our transformation and our growth in this life. Now hear me carefully. That does not mean we seek trying to be obedient to the Lord. We're called to obedience. But what it does mean is that we ask for help. We ask the Spirit to help us because we can't do it on our own. When you feel weak, don't forget to cry out to God. Probably the best prayer you can make, help me. Help me, God. It's the best prayer you can make when you're feeling weak, when you're overwhelmed. The Spirit hears it and He answers it. There was something that happened in my life earlier this week and it was a hard situation and it wasn't until 24 hours later that I realized I have not prayed about this problem yet. I've not asked God to help me. Should I be surprised that I couldn't find a way through what was plaguing me? The trouble in my life, should I be surprised? I didn't ask for help. Even worse is when we begin to think, I've got this. I can handle what's going on in my life. We can't. Friends, maturity in the Christian life looks like weakness calling out to the Spirit of God, help me, help me do what is right, help me live for you, help me honor you with my life, with my emotions, with my body, with everything in my life, because without you, I don't stand a chance. The Duke of Saxony was completely wrong. The gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is not only a good doctrine to hang on to at death. We need it every day of our lives, every moment of our lives. It's our food, it's our sustenance, it's our hope. So how do we live it? Keeping your eyes open to the crucified Christ. 
remembering and relying upon the God who makes and keeps his promises. And he's at work within you by the power of his spirit. That's how we live for God today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would fall fresh upon us in this room and those watching online this morning. Make us alive together with Christ and strengthen us where we are weak. Give us new spiritual power to say no to sin and yes to godliness. Spirit, renew our hopes. There are so many here who are weary and wounded and sick and sore. And we need you. Spirit of hope, birth hope within us. We're weak, Lord. We need your strength. We are afraid. We need your peace. Without you, we're dying. So give us life. Lord, help us to live for you, keeping our eyes on the cross, remembering your promises, and embracing your spirit. Do it, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.